Good morning, my friends. This is Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study, and I'm so glad that you are here today. We're going to begin in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 1. Let's talk today about a supernatural sign. Woo! Praise the Lord. Now, let's also pray before we jump in. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word to explore and to study your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come, bringing liberty and joy and understanding of your ways. Now, we thank you, Father, that you're going to break through in the lives of your people and show that you are with them. Now, we give you all of the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, Amen. My friends, before we start, let me also say a big thank you and a special God bless you to everybody that sowed into the tech package. You know, it has allowed us to make the purchases that we needed for the new encoder and for, uh, you know, the new computers also. And so it's just a joy to see uh, all of the old computers being taken offline, being set aside, and being backed up and saved, but then just basically being discontinued, and all of the new gear is coming in. Most of it is already shipped. Some of it has already arrived, but it is so nice to see the new technology and uh, what it can do and how much easier it's going to make for our office team here. Thank you for your giving. I really appreciate it. And I know that the Lord sees the seed that you sowed and that you can expect a special return on that. God's going to get you in a really, really good way. Praise the Lord. So thank you for all of you that participated in that opportunity. Praise God. Amen. John chapter 5 and verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Well, there is debate on what feast this actually was, but most uh, scholars who study the time frame and the chronology of the Gospels do pretty much agree that this would be the Feast of Purim. Uh, this was the time, you know, reflecting back uh, when you read the book of Esther and you see the wicked plot of Haman to overthrow the Jews and to kill all of the Jews in Persia at that time. But thank God for a Mordecai and Mordecai's strong backbone, and that influenced Esther to do the right thing, and God did a miracle. I really do believe that we are in a generation now where we're seeing strong Mordecai-type personalities stand up and say, we will not bow. Many have. We will not compromise. Many others did. We cannot be bought or sold. Many, many have, including church leadership across the American nation. But there are those that say, no, we're not for sale. And you you can try the bribe, but we're not accepting any bribes. We're not taking any, and we're certainly not giving any. We're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to preach the gospel, amen, and we're going to live our lives for the Lord. And so this feast was being celebrated, and that was, again, most likely the Feast of Purim. Verse 2, now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. Now, this pool, which is Bethesda, 
happens to be by the Sheep Gate. Now it is called here in the Bible, the Sheep Gate. When you go to Jerusalem today, it has three names, and it's all referring to the same gate. For me, it's very easy to remember this gate because, first of all, if you want to go to this pool, the Pool of Bethesda, uh, let's say you're at your hotel, and you walk out and you tell your tell a taxi driver, I want to go to the Pool of Bethesda. Where is he going to drop you off at? He'll take you right to the Sheep Gate. Again, easy for me to memorize because it's also called Stephen's Gate. And so, uh, no, it's not named after me. Praise the Lord. I wasn't alive. I'm not, I'm not that old. Praise God. But uh, right outside of the Stephen's Gate or Sheep Gate is where they say that the early uh, St. Stephen was martyred. And that, of course, would have been where, you know, Saul, all the clothes were laid by Saul, and then Stephen was stoned. So it happened right in that area. A good way to find this gate also, if you're not familiar with memorizing like gate names and things like that, is just to look up above the gate. This one is also known uh, by the locals, and it has been known uh, in history for hundreds of years as the Lion's Gate. And there are lions engraved right above the gate set into the stone of the wall. Now, we're not going to be technical or picky, but... Uh, actually, they're not lions. They're actually leopards. <laughs> so, uh, uh, something a very keen archaeologist observed some years back. You know, those aren't really lions. Those are leopards. But we're not going to call it the Leopard Gate. Uh, so, we can go with Stevens Gate. We can go with Lions Gate. Or the good old-fashioned name, Sheep Gate. Now, uh, by the Sheep Gate, of course, is the pool. But the pool, my friends, was not for the sheep. That actually was an area where the sheep would go in and out uh, through that gate. But no, they're not taking the sheep and taking them down to the pool. That was just a, a way in and a way out. So it's interesting because around the city of Jerusalem, there are different gates. Now, my favorite gate, it's kind of weird, but my favorite gate is actually the, the dung gate. Oh, well, that doesn't sound too good, Pastor Stephen. Well, that's Gate is named after what it means. That's where they would take all of the dung, all of the rubbish, all of the garbage out of the city back in ancient time, and they would just throw it down into the uh, Kidron Valley, and that was the dung gate. But as many of you know who've been to Israel, if you want to go to the Western Wall, maybe you're hanging out uh, in your room. I remember one time it was three, it was like 2.40 in the morning, and I called a friend there in Jerusalem. I said, hey, uh, let's get a taxi and go to the Western Wall and see who's praying at the Western Wall at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so we did. But where's the taxi going to drop you off at? At the Dung Gate. And he'll take you right in there and he'll turn around and, and then drop you off and leave. But that's how you get to the Western Wall. And then there's also a very beautiful gate called the Jaffa Gate. And that is named after the port of Jaffa, where... Uh, you have that fishing community. They actually say the best hummus in Israel is in Jaffa, but made famous, of course, by Jonah and, uh, you know, leaving the port and so forth. Well, uh, that didn't turn out too good for Jonah. He uh, ended up getting a very uh, high-ranking degree from Whale University. But in other words, if you're coming from what we would know today as Tel Aviv or Jaffa, and you would come up to Jerusalem, that would be the first gate back in the old times that you would enter into 
That's why it's called the Jaffa Gate. I want to cover a couple of these. There's something important about this. There's also the Damascus Gate, which is a gate where there, it's like a market. There's a lot of uh, fruits and vegetable, uh, vegetables being sold. And if you want to go to the garden tomb and you want to walk there, you're probably going to go through the old city, Jerusalem, and then you're going to exit out of the Damascus Gate. And then you're just right across the street from the uh, bus station and also the garden tomb, where, of course, anybody that goes to Israel usually wants to always see that. And usually on a tour, that is the last thing you'll see because it's considered very, very special. Now, here's an interesting scripture from Psalm 48. Take a look at this. Psalm 48, and next time you're in Israel, particularly in uh, Jerusalem, this uh, could be something that you might want to do. Psalm 48, verse 12, walk about Zion. So it's really, in some sense, a, a commandment. Walk about Zion, and the Jewish people... All of the males were, were required to go to Jerusalem three times every single year. And so sometime or another, they were to do this, walk about Zion, and go all around her, count her towers, mark well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generation following. You know, my wife and I have walked completely around Jerusalem, the old city before. It takes about 45 minutes or an hour. And when we were in Israel last year, uh, we had a little free time one day. Uh, our touring for the day was complete, and we ended uh, there real close by the old city. And some of the ladies on the tour said, well, uh, what should we do with our free time? I said, well, if you want to, you could walk around the entire old city. And they thought that would be cool. Is it possible? I said, it sure is. And they did it. A whole group of them took off and obeyed this scripture, walk about Zion. Now, we know in a sense Zion has a spiritual connotation. And from our perspective as uh, Christians looking uh, back at this, we can see in a sense that we are Zion. We are in Christ. We are the body of Christ. But there is also uh, Jerusalem. It many times is also called Zion. So it's great exercise. Woo, praise the Lord. Walking is still the king of all the exercises. The person that lived the longest out of biblical characters. You know, you read about uh, Abraham living to be 175. You read about Methuselah uh, living to be 969. But the oldest person, and I've studied different ones. I was reading recently about a man, uh, an American. He lived to be 115 years old. Pretty neat uh, Pretty neat. All of the uh, history and all of the things that he saw and participated in. But outside of the uh, biblical narrative, the longest, oldest person that I've really studied was a Chinese man that lived over 200 years. Now, uh, and this was only like 100 years ago. So it was known all over Beijing. It was known in many parts of China that he was the oldest man in the world. And I think he was right around the age of maybe 175 when he actually taught classes at Beijing University. But uh, he walked every single day, miles every day. Even if he didn't need to, he, he went out and walked and walked and walked. And he drank a special soup that was made from goji berries. 
Now, I'm not uh, encouraging you to go uh, like extreme and go out and start walking 20 miles a day and drinking goji berry soup and stuff like that. But I am saying take care of yourself because uh, if you want to go over 100, if you want to have longevity in your life, you have to be uh, careful in the way that you take care of the temple. You know, it's kind of interesting. You could throw all kinds of junk into your body and say, oh, it tastes good, Pastor Stephen. Oh, it's funny, Pastor Stephen. I, I was going to get a slice and I ate, I ate the whole pie. It, it's kind of funny until you've got to go to the doctor and then suddenly it's not funny anymore. You know, there were some, there were some good old boys in town that really did a lot of uh, verbal persecution against my ministry. This was about maybe like 10 years ago. And boy, they they didn't like it that I was Pentecostal. They didn't like it that I believed in divine healing, and they were they were railing against me from every angle they could find, newspapers, uh, you know, uh, just all kinds of stuff. And uh, I just you know I just prayed for them and forgave them and just kept on doing what God has called me to do. But I remember one day uh, uh, there was a doctor in my church. He said um, he said Pastor Stephen um, he said don't worry I'll I'll give them a talking to when I see them. I said, do you know them? Do you know the people that are saying those things? He goes, oh, no, I don't know them. I said, well, how then will you be seeing them? He goes, because I know I, I know who, I don't know them personally, but I know who they are, and they'll be seeing me because they're all going to need open-heart surgery because I know what they eat, and they've all clogged their arteries up. They'll be coming to see me, and when we put them under the gas and put them to sleep, and while they're laid out on the table, I'll give them a talking to. Be nice to Pastor Stephen. He's a good guy. He just loves God, and he's preaching the gospel. Uh, give him some space. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. So walking, walking is a great thing to do and it allows you to meditate and it allows you to uh, uh, praise the Lord and things like that. So walk about Zion. Praise God. Now, if you can't make it to Jerusalem, you can walk wherever you're at. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, speaking of Jerusalem, as many of you would suspect, we did have to cancel our 2024 April-May tour. It was right at the end of April, uh, excuse me, April, and the first part of May, and we had uh, the Inball Hotel. We had it all lined up. Everything was looking awesome until October 7th hit, and the nation is still, from a tourism perspective, uh, there's hardly anything going on. And so we have to cancel the tour. We're going to trust still to find a way, by God's grace, to get back over later this year. But it's very interesting dynamics right now because uh, all of the hotels throughout Israel, uh, well, like 90% of them, they are packed full of displaced Israelis. So the Israelis living up north that were in range of Hezbollah, they came to Jerusalem area or Galilee, and the ones down south that were definitely in range of, you know, Hamas with their rocket fire, they had to go up north or meet in the middle. And so all of those hotels are packed out with displaced Israelis. And then you have another problem on top of that, which is that all of the hotel workers, let's say a hotel has 40 people on staff. Overnight, it's like you had 35 called up to reserves, and they're off now fighting as uh, IDF soldiers or doing some type of work in the IDF. So the, the staff of the hotels just dropped dramatically. And you could literally, you could literally right now have pretty good-sized hotels being run by two people. I know I just talked, I just got off the phone uh, just two days ago with a major um, 
uh, with the president of a major uh, uh, Israeli tour, uh, tourism agency. And he said, you know what? It's so hard to get hotels that even if you call the hotels, nobody's answering. Why? There's nobody to answer the phone. You've got maybe only two people trying to hold down the whole hotel. Very, very interesting. So keep your prayers uh, going for the Jewish people. God's going to get them through this uh, tough spot and uh, pray for uh, the Prime Minister Netanyahu, that God would give him wisdom and they navigate through these tough waters. I'll tell you what, I'm still determined to get back over there uh, just to walk the land, praise God. You know, this, this, uh, the president of this tour company said, he said, I'll tell you one thing, Stephen. He said, if you got a little group and you could get over there, he said, the Israelis are so welcoming. Any tourism right now, any, any, and all the tourism now is based around Jerusalem and Galilee. Those are the safe areas. Not northern Galilee uh, by the Golan. No, just the southern Galilee and Jerusalem. He said, if you come now, they'll kiss your feet. They are, they, they'll, they'll shower you with love like you wouldn't believe because they're like, come help us support. <laughs> In any way, just stand here, <laughs> buy a candy bar. <laughs> So maybe maybe somebody's listening to me and you're you're kind of like thinking, well, I'd, I'd go, Pastor Stephen, if you went. Uh, send me an email because things can open up. Things can open up. Just email me at contact at stephenbrooks.org and just let me know, hey, if something opened up, uh, I'd be willing to go because there are safe places, there are safe areas, and they are hurting. They're grieving. And for us to be able to walk in and bring some love and smiles uh, bring, you know, bring some little gifts and stuff like that uh, would mean the world to them at a time like this. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's go back to our story. In John chapter uh, five, you thought I forgot where I was at, didn't you? Praise God. Amen. We're going back over the John chapter five. We're going to drop back down now to uh, verse, let's go to verse two. Now there, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, and that means house of mercy, having five porches. I tell you, I think uh, archaeology is amazing, and it's just getting so accurate. Um, this place known here is Bethesda with the five porches, or better, you could maybe think of it better like five colonnades holding up these roofs uh, for hundreds of years, critics said, oh, that doesn't exist. We haven't found that in Israel anywhere. But about 140, about 147 years ago, an archaeologist found it. And uh, uh, he uh, uncovered this area known as Bethesda. He also uncovered St. Anne's Church. And uh, I tell you what, it's there. And uh, let me pop a picture of it up on the screen right now. This is the Pool of Bethesda. It's quite large. And it's held up by these five porches or five gigantic colonnades. Very, very beautiful place. And uh, there's some steps that lead down to the pool. Now, the spring that used to feed the pool is no longer flowing, but the steps are still there and they lead down. And boy, you're talking about dangerous. There's no guardrail, no, no side rail if you slipped. <laughs> You're going to need a miracle prayer, praise the Lord, or a long time in the hospital, praise God. We would believe for the miracle prayer. But even better than that, we'll agree that God will protect your feet and the angels will not allow your feet to slip, praise God. So 
This, my friends, is the pool of Bethesda. This is where the paralyzed man is going to receive a miracle. Now, there is the pool of Siloam, not too far away. Siloam means sent. That's where a blind person was at. But these things are very, very important because the pool of Siloam and what we're looking at here, the pool of Bethesda, archaeologists are also pretty much like 99.9% convinced that both of these were ancient mikvahs. Now, I know that later in the first centuries, uh, these were turned into areas of hedonism. The Romans loved Greek culture. Now, the Romans conquered the Greeks, but they took their culture of philosophy and kind of like a higher level of living. They took that and they embraced that. So whenever they, uh, you know, went into new places, they would put that stamp there. Well, when the Romans really were, you know, ruling over the land that we know as modern-day Israel, what they did with the pool, both of these pools, the Pool of Siloam and, of course, also the Pool of Bethesda, is they turned them into public baths, where you could go and take all your clothes off and go out there and swim nude. And just they became like uh, almost like cult-like temples. And that was very, very wildly popular in Greece culture. And so the Romans had all of these places where you could go take a bath, take your clothes off. There's all types of immorality going on at places like that. But their origins, though, do appear to be Hebraic, and they were used as mikvahs because the steps are very unique. They're only found in Jewish uh, architecture. And so this is, remember, all the men every year, three times a year, required to come up to Jerusalem. So what would you do? You Before you would go to the temple, go up and into the temple, you would take a ritual bath. And that's what those big mikvahs were for. Praise God. All right, verse 3. In these lay a great multitude of sick people. Now, a great multitude, let me stop just for a moment. A great multitude is not 10 or 20 people. You're looking at hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm not going to give like measurements. That gets kind of technically boring, but this was a big place. And last time we were there in Israel, I actually taught there. Because again, if you want to go there, you go through which gate? The Sheep Gate, which is also called what gate? Stephen's Gate, which has what above it? The Lions. Praise God. Okay. So you could get, when you see this place, you're like, wow, this is really, really big. So it looks like two pools kind of like side by side. One is a reservoir that holds all, all the water, and the other is the pool itself. Now, if you see it today, it's kind of hard to, because it's so deep and you've got all of this other architecture around it. Plus, the crusaders, when they were in the Holy Land, they built like a uh, prayer shrine right in the middle of it. So, And that's now dilapidated, and so you're trying to figure out what's what. <laughs> which is why you need a guide. If you ever go to Israel on your own and just drive around and look, you won't know what is really going on. But if you have a guide with you, it starts to come alive really quick. So in these lay a great multitude, probably hundreds and hundreds of people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, this type of supernatural here really does make some intellects go tilt. I'm talking about theological intellects. I, I was in church one time. This was like a 10,000-member church. I was in my mid-20s, spirit-filled, charismatic-type church. 
The pastor wasn't there. He had a very highly educated uh, guest speaker come in to speak that day. And he actually taught from this scripture. I, and honestly, I can't remember anything he taught. Uh, uh, but he, I do remember he said this. He said, well, he said this thing about the moving of the water and an angel going down into the water. He said, I don't even think this is supposed to be in the Bible. I think there was a mistake made. Woo! Oh, 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 so because you can't understand it and it doesn't fit, uh, fit your paradigm where, where you can figure it all out, so you have to dismiss it. Wow, what do you do about God? Do you have him all figured out? Or, oh, well, yes, we've got him all figured out too, so we're going to keep him in the Bible. My friends, there are things about God and his ways that as much as we know, we'll, we are still learning all the time. But the stand before a large assembly of believers and say something as crazy as that. <laughs> I mean, even if even if you would say that, let's say like verses three and four, that maybe they shouldn't be there. Well, what do you do with verse seven? Because it's repeated then. I mean, eventually you're just going to take the whole chapter out. Then, then you start taking other chapters out. So the thing with the Bible is that God presents his word. It is the truth. And eventually all of the people that speak against it, they uh, they are shown as having been deceived. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I will admit there are certain things in the Bible I don't understand, but I'll tell you this much. I certainly do believe in them. I certainly do believe it. Praise God. Now, so they're waiting for the moving of the water. I want to dive into this today. That's a little bit of a pun, isn't it? Now, verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. I've never seen that before, Pastor Stephen. Just because maybe a person hasn't seen it doesn't mean it's not real. Doesn't mean it's not authentic. Doesn't mean it's not true. And a lot of this also is because of lack of exposure. What is the price tag for greatness? It's exposure. You've got to get out. You've got to see the things uh, and to get exposure. Now, I can take it by faith, but also when you when you when you see it flowing, when you see it operating, it's a very beautiful thing. It reminds me of what uh, uh, there was a lady, uh, Kelly, and this lady used to be friends, and uh, this is what this woman told Kelly when she got saved. She said, "Before I got saved, all I could see on every corner was a bar." It's like there was a bar or honky-tonk on every corner. But now that she got saved, she said, I actually realized there's churches also on every corner. There's churches on every corner. <laughs> How come she couldn't see the churches before? Well, Pastor Stephen, that's because they weren't there. No, they were there the whole time, but she had, she had spiritual blinders on. But my friends, we thank God for the grace to see and receive. So we, we see it in the Word, and when you see it in the Word and believe it, you're going to see it in other places as well. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. How did he do it? Did he do it with his big toe? Maybe he, uh, maybe he had wings. Not all angels had wings. Maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he'd take a wing and stick it in there and swirl it all around. Maybe he had a stick, a golden stick, and stirred it up like soup. I don't know, but he certainly did stir it up. He went down a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, 
You know, there's an old saying that the front row gets the A. Mm-hmm. Well, in this case, the front row got the miracle. You got to be not only on the front row, you got to jump. Woo, praise the Lord. In other words, those that are hungry, those that want to get up front, there is a blessing to that. You better believe the glory stronger up front. God, now God can spread it out everywhere, but there's something up front where it is thick and heavy. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Now, then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. My, 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 praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow, glory. What are we looking at right here? We're looking at something different than the way it normally works. Here's how it normally works. Jesus would minister to somebody. They would receive a miracle, and the person would be operating in faith, trusting God. And then Jesus after the miracle is done, he'd say, according to your, or he would say something like, according to your faith, be it unto you, or, oh, what great faith you've had, and the person would get the miracle. Uh, and so there was faith involved. Here, there's none of that. There, It's not like Jesus is going up to this guy and saying, I can tell that you've been believing the Bible for 38 years, and because of that, uh, the Father has sent me here to do a miracle for you. Now, there, there's nothing like that at all. What you're looking at here is what we would call a sign gift. And this would operate in the Lord's ministry, and it can operate also in ministers' ministries when they minister. And so what is a sign gift? Well, a sign uh, gift is supernatural. It has a miraculous element about it. And what it does is that it causes people's attention to be pointed in the right direction. You know, when you go down the road, you even if you have GPS, you're still going to notice signs. And those signs are there to guide you and to keep you going in the right direction. So this is a supernatural sign that is pointing people back to faith in God, back to trust in God. Woo, praise the Lord. And it happened right here. Now, along with supernatural signs, there can also be wonders. Hold your spot just for a moment. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 2, and this would be verse 4. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So we have signs, we have wonders, we have miracles, we have the gifts of the Spirit. What is a sign? Again, a supernatural guidepost pointing people in the right direction, pointing people to God. And then you have wonders. And in a similar way, it has a very simple meaning. When a miraculous wonder happens, it leaves people wondering, what in the world was that? Or was that even something from this world? What what did we just witness? It was so smooth. It was so, you know, there is something often about miracles where in some ways they're not dramatic. Sometimes God can do miracles where it's so smooth and it happens like in a way that's so easy that before you know it, it's done. And there it was. And you're like, wow, that was a little bit different than the way I was expecting it was going to happen. But it still happened. Woo! And you you can be left puzzled. 
you can be left in a very beautiful way wondering, what did we just experience here? When the glory comes or something uh, beautiful that God does and it touches your heart in a very deep way and it has the supernatural element to it, it is a wonder. And it makes you wonder about the majesty, the glory, the beauty of God. And these can be displayed in very wide aspects. <laughs> Woo, praise God. And I do believe that God wants to do a sign in your life. Now, we see here clearly that it is according to His will. We, we can't force it. Um, I don't know how many times this has happened to me. Uh, but I'm ready for it. But I've had many, many people come up to me because they know I believe in divine healing. And maybe they don't believe in it. And maybe they're even opponents of it, but yet they're believers, they're Christians. And uh, they, they'll say something like this. Well, uh, Brother Stephen, uh, you believe in uh, God does miraculous healing, huh? Oh, yes, I sure do. Then they, then they get really uh, uh, intellectual and usually snicker a little bit when they say it. And they'll say, well, if that's true and God still does that today, then why don't you just go down to the hospital and prove it and heal everybody at the hospital? And then there's usually a little more giggling because they think, I've got him now. And I just say, well, how come Jesus didn't heal everybody at the pool of Bethesda? How come he didn't go out there and just wipe the whole place out and heal everybody? Everybody rise and be healed. Everything, paralysis, blind, be healed. Deaf, be hear. Every, how, come he, how come Jesus didn't go to the hospital at the pool of Bethesda and there was hundreds of sick people and just heal them all at the same time and say, see there, that proves I'm God. And then the whole thing be over with. So every time I'm faced with that statement, why don't you just go clear the hospital out? Clear, heal them all. Then, then, then I'll believe. Well, how come Jesus didn't do that? And they, every single time, they have absolutely no answer. No answer. So, that was not on God's agenda. Mm -mm -mm. Only one person got it. Let's turn back to the story again. John chapter 5. Only one person got it. So, you have to understand the way that God works, and you can't you can't force something, but I do believe that God would like to do a sign in your life, something that others see that when they look at your life and this amazing thing that God has done, which is miraculous, they'll, they're probably going to wonder a few things. They're, this is probably what they're going to wonder. You know, maybe I should listen to what they're saying after all. Maybe this Jesus that they're always talking about and always praising Maybe that maybe there's something to this that I, I need to like think about. Maybe I should listen to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Praise God. I believe that God would like to do a miraculous sign of his choosing, of his doing in your life. And again, you read this story carefully. This, this man that's been paralyzed is not saying, yes, Jesus, I knew you would come. I've been confessing and believing and praising God. I knew you were going to show up. I've had faith that God would. You don't find any of that here. This is God in his own sovereign awesomeness, uh, God the Father letting Jesus know by the Holy Spirit, go over there and raise that guy up as a sign. Also, of course, he's going to do it on the Sabbath. You already know what's coming with that. <laughs> the Pharisees, the Sadducees, more attacks. 
more uh, more criticism. Mm. I tell you what, if you ever wanted to get, and I say it in love, but if you ever, ever wanted to get bogged down in legalism and lose your joy, get get tangled up in rabbinic Judaism. It is an absolute 100% invention of man. So much tradition, so much, and hardly any of it, probably 99% of it, not found anywhere in the Bible, but created by men and stacked with layers and layers of more tradition. I couldn't even imagine trying to meet those demands or learn all of the in and outs of those endless rules and uh, endless little customary type things. Woo! (laughs) Woo! Praise God. Thank God for Jesus who paid the sacrifice for our sins, that all we have to do is believe and put our trust in him and we can be saved. For the just, the just live not by trying to obey and fulfill all the requirements of the law. The just shall live by faith. And even God was trying to get that over to the Israelites through his prophets, even in the Old Testament. Mm-mm. Woo, praise God. What is the law? It's, it's like being a high jumper in track and field and the world record is eight feet, and they say, now your turn, go jump, and you look at the bar, and it's raised up to 40 feet, and you're like, that's humanly impossible. Uh, Yes, that is the whole purpose of the law. And the only one who ever kept it perfectly was Jesus, who never sinned once his entire life. Oh, praise God. Amen. So while I'm going to walk in the light of the word and obey the commandments of God, I'm going to put my trust in him so that I'm saved by his grace through faith. Amen. Because we can never, ever be good enough to earn our way to heaven. That's what all of the religions of the world teach, even if they don't verbalize it. It all comes down to this lowest common denominator. They all believe, and if you ever get to their leaders one-on-one, they'll tell you this. They all believe that you'll get to heaven when your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. That's a total lie. There's no way to do enough good deeds to get into heaven. All of man's works in the eyes of God, we're told in the book of Isaiah, it's like filthy rags. So, you know what? We thank God that we're saved by grace through faith. So simple, so easy. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, we see here, that this water was stirred. And there can be times when God can send an angel to you and stir something, can do something. Let me be the first to say that Jesus Christ is the great physician. Jesus is the healer. But you also have to understand that in the, the order and structure of heaven with angels, that Jesus would be like the five-star general and everybody under him, all of the angelic hierarchy, they all run errands, carry out assignments and do works that he wants him, uh, them to do. So there is an entire category of angels in heaven that are known as healing angels. Sometimes we hear about the warring angels and 
Uh, and sometimes people make it sound like there's maybe only two or three categories of angels. There are all kinds of different brackets or categories or even specialized units of angels. And there's a very large division that are known as the healing angels. And yes, Jesus is the healer, but they bring his healing. They can carry it and they can deposit it and put it into you. They can bring body parts. They, they, Woo, they can bring it. Uh, praise the Lord. And so that also is what is going on in this situation. And that is what the pool of Bethesda was known for. They all wanted to get into the water. So this was just something sovereign, something beautiful that God did. And it brought healing. And no matter what your condition was, if you got in there first, it didn't matter what you had. You, you, got, you were made whole the moment you jumped in. Mm-mm. And there are still places like this in the world. You know, every year in Lourdes, France, over 4 million people visit Lourdes, France. And this started back in the 1800s. It was, uh, it was actually February the 11th. So we're getting close to that date. February the 11th, 1858, when a 14-year-old girl who was illiterate, she could not read or write, and had zero education. She was a shepherd girl, and her name was Bernadette. Let me put a picture of Bernadette up on the screen right now. Well, she was out one day taking care of the sheep, and she saw Mary, the mother of Jesus, in a vision. Now, she did not know who Mary was. She was biblically illiterate. She was... Uh, uh, illiterate in the area of, you know, reading and things like that. She was just a shepherd girl. And so she saw this vision of this woman who began to talk to her about God, about repentance of sins, and uh, about Jesus is, is the way to heaven and things like that. And so this went on for a few days. And in one of the visions, Mary told Bernadette that there's a rock below me where I'm standing. I want you to dig at the base of this rock, and there's water there, and I want you to drink the water. So uh, the vision ended, uh, and uh, that day she went and started digging, and uh, uh, she was looking for a spring you know, or water, and nothing nothing was, she couldn't find anything, but she came back a little bit later, and it, the, the little bit of digging had caused that spring to release and push its way through. Would you believe today that uh, in our modern era, to, uh, the year 2024, that every single day at that little spring that she dug and that where Mary said, there's a, there's a spring here, every single day, 32,000 gallons of water pour out of that little spring. <laughs> and people come from all over the world to drink the water to receive a healing miracle. By the way, as far as I know, there could be an exception, but as far as I know, that is the only prayer shrine in the world where people go and pray to God for healing that actually has a full-time doctor, medical doctor, stationed there. He's, he's there every single day. Why? They have had over 7,000 documented miraculous healings that are completely unexplainable, that the, the people had cases and conditions that medical science said is hopeless. Uh, do the best you can because we can't do anything else. 
And there have been over 7,000 people that have gone there and were made completely whole. They went, drank the water, believed God. Oh, God, do your thing. <laughs> and an angel touched them and they were healed. Praise the Lord. Um, very, very interesting. Very interesting. There's different places like this also around the world. By the way, let me put a, a picture up of Lords of France. Beautiful place. Uh, first of all, uh, you'll see the uh, that's the prayer grotto. And where that statue that you're looking at of Mary, that's where Mary in the vision was standing as she would speak to Bernadette in the vision. And uh, now there's a very, very beautiful church that stands there here in this picture that you can see. Really, really amazing. Praise God. You know, it's, it's interesting because um, there's a Benedictine monastery not too far from here, down by Charlotte. It's outside of Charlotte in a town called Belmont. Very, very beautiful. And uh, there's the Benedictine monks. And sometimes when I've got a little free time, I actually go down there and visit them. I even I actually check into the monastery. No women are allowed. <laughs> so so um, I'll just tell Kelly sometimes, hey, I think I'll go stay up for the weekend or a day or something like that and go down and check in and eat with the monks, uh, sleep, uh, you know, pray pray with the monks and talk talk with them and stuff like that. It's really neat. But I was talking with one of the professors there, a very very dear friend of mine, and you know they have a they have a prayer grotto there also that is a kind of like a copy of what the real one is. You could say over in Lords France, and I've been I've been to the one there at Belmont many times. This is what happened. Uh, this was about 100 years ago. One of the monks was really, really sick. He was actually at the doorstep of death, and he was about to die. And the other monks had prayed, and, you know, uh, God hasn't healed him, and uh, he, he's about to die, and everybody, everybody at the monastery knows it. And what this monk did is he said in a prayer, he said, God, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. If you'll heal me, I'll build a prayer grotto here on uh, the monastery property, similar to the one over there in Lourdes, France. And within hours after he made that holy vow, within hours, God raised him up and healed him. <laughs> perfect, total perfect health from death's door to complete total health. All of the other monks were shocked. They were weeping and crying and uh Guess what? They built the prayer grotto there, and it's beautiful. I've been there, and I've prayed there. And I, I was actually last year at a church in San Antonio ministry. And after the, the meetings were done, I was sitting at a restaurant. Kelly and I, the pastor and his wife, and some others were hanging out. And there was a table next to us, and I somehow struck up a conversation with this lady. You know, I like spirit will attract. And Kelly and I, we started talking with this lady, and uh, she was a Catholic scholar, and she was traveling to different places. She said, well, my next stop is uh, Belmont to go to the uh, Prayer Grotto. I said, well, I've been there too. It seems like it's getting quite popular, isn't it? She said, well, when people are getting healed, I'd imagine so. <laughs> I'd say, yes, I'd imagine so too. And so that monk got healed, but many other people have gotten healed too. Pastor Stephen, I don't understand all of this. It's just God doing things sometimes differently. He can do a sign, boom, which says what? I'm still Jehovah Rapha. I am still the Lord your God who is your healer. 
Mm-mm. Well, Pastor Stephen, I've got like 42 different things wrong with me. God could wipe every single one out of your body in one second, one sign, one touch, one angel sent to you. <laughs> not to tickle you with a feather. That, that would be fun, but not just to make you laugh and say, oh, I saw an angel. His eyes were blue. <laughs> no, I'm talking about a power touch where you come out of that and you're a sign. You're like a glowing neon sign. You know, I had a situation once where uh, I had a visitation from Jesus in the garage of my home. I was in the car. Jesus came into the car. Uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was wild. It was off the charts. And I, I came out of that under such a glory, uh, I could hardly talk. And I, I, after the vision was over, I left, got out of the car, walked through, uh, through the garage and opened the door into the kitchen area and walked into the home. And Kelly saw me. She looked at my face and she said, you saw Jesus, didn't you? I said, yes. <laughs> Woo, praise God. Hey, if you believe that God would like to do a sign for you, maybe some of you need it. Amen. Maybe you had a, little, maybe you had a rough week. Maybe you had a rough last year. Or maybe you had a good one, but you're, you're just into this. Lift your hands right now. Father, I pray for those with hands raised up. That is a sign of their hunger, that they would raise their hands. That is a sign of their surrender to the moving of your spirit. And I pray, Father, that in your own way, just as you have done signs in my life that were, that were very, very supernatural, even in many ways unexplainable, Father, I pray that you would give them a valid sign in their life that they would know. And I know, Father, they know in their heart that they're saved. And I know that they know, if not in their heart, they know in their head that you love them. But I pray that you would give them a sign that makes them laugh, maybe makes them cry, but lets them know you're with them. You are with them. I pray that you would give that precious person, those that are watching, those that are listening, hands raised, give them a sign. Now, Father, in your timing, we ask you would do this, but I believe that it's sooner instead of later. And I thank you, Father God, for doing it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Woo, praise the Lord. Pastor Stephen, what's it going to be? Oh, I don't know. God's got a lot of arsenals. Uh, he's got a lot of quivers in his uh, bow case, in his arsenal. He could give you anything. But I believe a sign is something that will be so wholly sobering that it will impact others. It will make others want to look to the Lord as well in a special way. In a special special way, praise the Lord. Very quickly, the Gospel of John, chapter twenty-one. Chapter twenty-one. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And let's go to verse twenty-five. And there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Many, many things done. You know, Dr. G.G.S. Dinakaran from India, the great man of God known as the prophet of the East, uh, founder of Jesus Calls Ministry. He said that this followed him. So this was a sign in his life. Whenever life would be like overbearing and major challenges in ministry, uh, threats maybe from Hindus and 
uh, criticism from journalists and uh, maybe some health challenges when everything would seem to be overwhelming and he would almost at times even despair of life. He said during times like that, the Holy Spirit would come and take him and lift him up out of his body and take him to heaven. One time he was given a two-hour tour of heaven by the Apostle Peter. <laughs> Woo, praise the Lord. Amen. And other times he would go. And other times he would go. So he was really known as a man that was caught up many times. Side note. Secret note. I know it's on YouTube. I know I know it's not like secret in a way. But secret note to those of you that made it this far through the program and you're still listening. <clears throat> You know, we have the 14.5 acres, uh, debt-free, beautiful property out by the airport where we're going to build that. You know what the first thing we're going to build is? The prayer altar. Mm -mm. Oh, Pastor Stephen, you mean the prayer grotto? Uh, grotto. You got it. Praise God. <laughs> Woo! We've already got the circular area semi-cleared, and it, it's going to need work. Uh, we're going to be bringing in big stones when we do it. We're going to do it right, but you can come and you can pray there when it's built. You'll be able to come anytime, day or night, 365 days out of the year, 24-7. If you want to come out there and pray, if you want to come out there and believe God for a healing touch, get up on that prayer platform. It will be a raised rock altar type big prayer platform. And one unusual thing that the Holy Spirit has already been bearing witness to me about is that many people will be translated on that platform while they're in prayer, translated in the Spirit to other countries, translated by the Spirit. You know, uh, one time in Italy, uh, Padre Pio was talking with some people and, and some visitors there at the monastery in San Giovanni Rotondo. And uh, they were, one man was talking about the, uh, the modern advancements of the jet airplane. And uh, Padre Pio was listening while this guy's kind of like rambling. And uh, this man said, you know, it's now possible to fly from Italy all the way to America, and it only takes 12 hours. And Padre Pio said, 12, 12 hours? He said, when I go, it only takes like a minute or two. <laughs> he turned around and walked off. <laughs> he was taking trips all the time, all the time, in the spirit. And I believe that this is going to be a place of prayer. I believe it'll be a place also of the healing touch of God that will come, that will just come. God does many things as a sign. Sometimes he heals people. You think, I don't quite see how that person got it. Lord, don't seem like maybe they're uh, hitting on all cylinders with believing or trust. What God just, some, there's some things about God we'll never know. And he'll just touch. Sometimes as a sign, I'm still healing, still healing. Praise God. And you do know that that paralyzed man had a covenant. He was a Jew. And he's languishing for 38 years in a paralyzed state, in many ways making excuses. This is your year of unstuck destinies. No more excuses. This is the year of God's touch upon your life. You are a covenant child. Believe the covenant promises, and it will break any stronghold, even paralysis, Praise God. You don't need 38 years to get delivered. These next three months, God is moving in a very, very advanced way. I'm talking about the three months we're in, February, March, April. Open your heart to receive all that God has for you and what he wants to do over this time frame. 
Praise God. I would ask you to pray along with us for the the prayer altar, the prayer grotto to be raised up on the property. Praise God. I know in God's right timing as the provision comes, we'll do it, and it will really be a place where you can have your getaway. Amen. Because it's in a forest. You know, uh, I was so inspired at Kurjoth Jerem, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept uh, after it had been brought back from the Philistines and before it was taken to the next spot but by, by David. But I tell you what, Kirjoth Jerem means city in the woods. And where the new ministry headquarters and where the prayer grotto are at, it were surrounded by forest. This whole area in the middle has been cleared, and you will think you're in a forest. That's because in some ways, you are, although we're also close to a very beautiful airport. Praise God. The best of both worlds. Amen. Praise God. All right. Heavenly Father, bless your people. I thank you for the sign you're going to do in their life, and others will see. Others will see it as well. We thank you for wonders. Thank you, Father God. People are going to wonder what you've done in their lives because it will be so beautiful, so glorious, such a turnaround. God's going to do such a sign. Please listen carefully. God's going to do such a sign in the lives of some of you that in one stroke, you'll be able to pay off every single debt you have. Every bill paid off, every single debt totally paid off in one stroke because God's going to do a sign in your life. Don't hide your lamp underneath a bushel. Amen. Testify about what God has done when it happens. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus is the only way. There is no other mediator between God and man except for Jesus. He is the only go-between. And so if you want to go to heaven, You've got to put your faith and trust in Him. So if you haven't done that, it's time to get your life right with God. I've been getting emails recently. Somebody just said they used to serve the Lord. They fell away. They came back in one of these prayer sessions. So if you used to serve the Lord also, but maybe you fell away, come on back right now. Let the Lord restore you, okay? So I want to pray for the lost, and I want to pray for those who've fallen away. Let's pray together. Just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I repent of all of my sins. Save me now. Wash me with your precious blood. Thank you, Jesus. Step into my life and lead me and guide me from this day forward. Make me a sign and a wonder for you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Let's take Holy Communion today. Praise the Lord. God is moving. God is moving. Grab some unleavened bread. Grab some grape juice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We set it apart through this prayer as being holy. And we thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Jesus. Father, as we receive the Lord's flesh, we thank you that even with the Apostle Paul, you did unusual miracles, which would mean there's normal miracles 
and exceptional miracles. Father, I thank you that you intend to do some unusual things for your people in the area of blessing and in the area of miraculous and in the area of displaying your glory. We thank you for that. We believe it. Now we receive the Lord's body. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's receive together. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you, O oh God, for the protection of the blood of Christ all around us, around our homes, our family, our children, all that we have. We thank you, Father God, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We praise you, O oh God. We thank you, Father, for prosperity, health, increase, sound mind, strong walk with you, kingdom overcomers, more than conquerors. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We now receive the blood of Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. Praise the Lord. When God does the sign, go with it. Let it flow. Praise God. Don't try to figure it out. There's things about God you'll never figure out. Mm -mm. You know, Bernadette with the uh, Lord's France story, she, was, uh, she had half the city that believed her, half the city didn't. A lot of criticism, a lot of criticism even from the clergy, from the church, of those that said, hey, she's a 14-year-old kid. She doesn't know anything about the Bible. Uh, how can any of this, you know, what's going on here? But yet people kept getting healed. Her response was always was, I'm not sent to convince you. I'm only sent to deliver the message. Woo, praise the Lord, amen. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. And of course, in delivering the message, many will believe and receive. So God's going to do some things for some of you that will be done in a way where you're lit up like a sign. That's God. Just let him do his thing and give him all the glory. And watch, he'll touch you too. Amen. The, he can reach beyond the pool of Bethesda. You can have your own pool of Bethesda moment right in the privacy of your own home or work or wherever. Mm -mm. Get ready. God knows how to get to you. Father, bless your people. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We give you all of the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for watching. I'll see you back again real soon.